So I want to mention as the kids go, um, a couple of things that kind of jump out. <clears throat> so one of them, I just want to mention uh, Saturday, I hope you have your schedule clear um, to come. By the way, um, a, a good problem. If you notice there are open seats in here when you come in, like move to the center of aisles as much as possible because uh, one of the great things is we have people who don't have seats as you come in because they can't see there's a couple in the front usually open. I know it's in the front, it's a bummer. But if you move up and move in, then it makes room for other people. Or, would also be great, we, you can come at nine o'clock too. We'd love to have you at nine. Um, but next Saturday from nine to 11 a.m., uh, Dr. Jeff Stark's coming to share with us and he's a professor at Olivet Nazarene University. And he's just sharing what's it look like for us to know and embrace and share the good news of Jesus. And so I would encourage you to be a part of that. If you thought, yeah, I'd love to tell people about my faith and about my love and enter into a relationship with them in ways that are, that are not manipulative or controlling or whatever that might be look like, come Saturday from 9 to 11. We'd love to see you there. Be a part of that. Uh, I think you'll really enjoy that time together. This week, if you didn't know, and if you haven't looked yet, there's been some guys who've been doing some work in our church remodeling the gym, and they're getting closer to being done. Not quite. Um, I was a little bit disappointed they didn't ask me to help. Um, I did cook lunch for them twice, so that was a win for them. But like, they didn't ask me to help, and probably surprising, not surprising to you, um, I'm I'm probably not the best builder you've ever seen. Like, I'm just not that good, if we're honest. Um, but there was a time in middle school shop class, industrial arts class. Mr. K was the teacher. Mr. Knezevich, um, he was teaching class, and so I was really excited because we were doing this woodworking stuff. We were making pinewood derby carts. Have you done that before? And so I just got really excited about model, like designing and painting and manipulating this to make it look how I wanted. And so I, I met with him. And I said, hey, I really want to do this well. Uh, I want my car to be the fastest car in class. And he's like, okay, well, here, here are the ones who have historically kind of won. They look kind of like these. And so I took, took one and kind of tweaked it a little. And I would go during like the homeroom period and before school and after school to work on it. And I put a lot of time in. It looked really good. It was black and silver, like shiny silver, not like dull. I mean, it was really cool. And, and I got ready to put the wheels on. And that's when we realized there was a problem. So I flipped it. It was built upside down, so the wheels went on, the eye hook dragged the ground. So this car may have looked fast, so slow. Finished, I think, last or second to last. I did finish second in design, but finished almost dead last in speed. Why? The foundation was wrong. It was literally built upside down. It worked, but it was built in the wrong way. And so I started thinking for so many of us, like in life, what's it look like? We often build foundations in wrong ways and then we pay the price later, right? If, if it's in terms of fitness, maybe you don't know what you're doing and so you start doing stuff and then you're hurt, right? Like it's like, ooh, that was a bad foundation, I'm hurt. We did relationships and later we have this massive heartache because we built things on the wrong foundation. We do it with all kinds of other things, right? We do it with um, our education, we, we don't really pay attention when we're young, and all of a sudden we get to where you have to build on stuff, like especially like math. If you don't learn how to do math when you're young, when you do math when older, you really have no idea what's going on. Or when you're like, when I was in high school, we had a kid in my class, in my Spanish class, who was from Mexico, and he came in like a, our sophomore year in high school, and so he comes to Spanish class, he's thinking easy A, except his grammar was horrible, and so in Spanish class, you're learning correct grammar. He did terrible. He knew all the words, but he didn't know how to like, put punctuation in the right spots, and so you go, no, no, that's not right, and, and so he would get so frustrated because his foundation was wrong. He knew the words, but didn't know the way you were supposed to use them. 
And the truth is, we know that happens in terms of buildings, right? Have you ever seen a building that when you look at it, you're like, ooh, why is it leaning that way? Or why is that broken there? Or why is there a big crack down the side like the foundation was wrong? And so it eventually leads to something that falls apart and eventually it's destroyed. And so I started thinking about how much foundations matter. But they matter not just in that, they matter in every kind of life, right? It's true in our faith, it's true in, in every aspect of life. In fact, that's why, uh, a couple pictures, like here's one of the pyramid at Saqqara. It, it's a 4,000-year-old pyramid, and it looks almost like it did 4,000 years ago. Why? Because foundation's really good. Right? Or there's one more where you can see my son climbing on a pyramid, and I, I screwed this up in the first service, so I got it right now. But, but it, why? Because those, are, those bricks are huge. And they're built to last. It's 4,000 years old and you can still climb it. Or even this outside wall at the Temple Mount. It wasn't one of the walls of the temple, but one of the walls of the Temple Mount. And it's 2,000 years old. And it's still there. How? Why? How come some stuff lasts 2,000 years and other stuff doesn't? In fact, what if we said this way? What if the foundation of our lives was built in such a way that our families... And our own futures was built on something that would last. And what if it was built on something that would last so much so that it would last forever? What if if we could set up ourselves and our future in such a way that the trajectory of our lives and of our families is one that would last more than even a lifetime? And so we've been looking at the journey of God's people, this journey beginning with Abraham. And God called Abram and he said this, I want to bless you so that you can be a blessing to the world. Right, and there's Abraham, then Isaac, then Jacob. Jacob has his name changed. He becomes Israel. He has 12 sons. One of the sons becomes Joseph. Joseph finds himself in Egypt. Does all kinds of cool stuff. Make, provides food for people who didn't have it. But then he does something that he should have never really done. He begins to buy slaves for Pharaoh and buys all the land and all the people. And then guess what's not surprising? There's a Pharaoh who doesn't remember Joseph. And guess who should have gone back home to their homeland but didn't? That would be Israelites, and they find themselves enslaved in Egypt, and for 400 years, they're enslaved, and they cry out to God, and God hears their cries, and he sends them Moses. Moses comes to Pharaoh, says, let my people go. Pharaoh says, no. Moses eventually leads the Israelites out of Egypt into the wilderness, and they find themselves in this kind of place where they're wanting, they're complaining to God over and over again. There's 10 different times they complain to God because they want this, they want that. God, you should have just left us in Egypt. It was so much better there. You were slaves, but it was so much better there. And they get to the promised land, and 12 go in, and of the 12 who come out, only two thought that God could provide it for them. The rest of them were like, oh, no, not us. Too scared here. In fact, there's this line in the scripture. It's one of the, like, there's some really funny lines in the Bible if you you catch them. But it's this line where people say, we looked like grasshoppers in our own eyes and to them, right? Like, not only did they think we looked like grasshoppers, but we thought we looked like grasshoppers compared to them. Like, they were so big, we're so small. And God says, fine, for all of you who are over 20, so right, if you're in the room and you're under 20, you were okay. The rest of us in the room were not. And you were not welcomed into the promised land as they wandered for 40 more years in the wilderness. And so now, Joshua is the new leader of the people of Israel. And as he prepares to lead them in, he has this conversation with God. And here's what's recorded in Joshua chapter 1. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that 
and be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So Joshua leads the people into the promised land, and when they get across the Jordan River, they set up these 12 stones. One represents each tribe of Israel, but kind of a foundation of their remembering that God is the one who led them into the promised land, and God is the one who gave it to them, and God is the one who is their God, and they will build their life upon him. And so these rocks symbolize the foundation of their faith. And then, eventually, lots happen, like the whole book of Joshua. And the people find themselves at peace with the world around them. And so Joshua gathers all the people together, and here's what he says in Joshua 24. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Joshua says to them all, like, I I don't know what the foundation of your life is, but if there are things that are keeping you from serving God, right? He talks about idols and gods. Um, We just laugh about that now because we have other things, like we put them in our pockets, different idols we have. Whatever the idol or God in our own life is that we might need to move away and move away from to allow God to be the foundation of our lives. But the story of God's people is not done with Joshua in this reading. You're like, all right, cool. God's people got it right. They nailed it wrong. Right? So after this, not long, they're complaining again against God. All the other kingdoms, they all have kings. We want a king just like everybody else. So they have a king. Saul's the first king. Saul's not a very good king. Saul's not king that long. Then David becomes king. David, man after God's own heart, takes his neighbor's wife home has an affair with her, probably, was, probably she didn't have much say in the matter, and then David, okay, maybe not so much after God's own heart. Then David has a son named Solomon, you think, well, Solomon, he'll get it right. Where all his dad screwed up, Solomon's going to get it right. Solomon begins with right. He's asked God for wisdom, beautiful kind of picture to begin with. Then not too long, by the end of Solomon's life, it says his heart was led astray by the, his many wives. And if you took, there's this text in Deuteronomy 15 where, where it gives a list of all the things the kings of Israel are not supposed to do. It's as if Solomon took that list and goes, ooh, I can do every one of those. And he checked off all the lists, right? Don't have other gods. Don't store up stuff from Egypt. He has horses and chariots from Egypt. Don't store up storehouses. He has storehouses. Everything he's told not to do, he does. And then at Solomon's death, the kingdom is split in two, Israel in the north, Judah in the south. And you can go read First and Second Kings. It's kind of a mess. And most of these kings are a mess, and they don't ever choose to serve God. They try to serve every other God as well. And like, I want a little bit of God, I want a little bit of that God, and a little bit of that God, and a little bit of those people, and I want a little bit of this for me. It's like a potpourri of faith, and it doesn't work. And then, empire over after empire comes in and takes over Israel, and Israel and Judah are split in two. And then comes 400 years of crying out, longing for God to show up. The Romans are in town, and God comes in flesh. Jesus shows up, and he begins to speak in a new way. And John the Baptist was in the wilderness calling to the people, and he was saying things that people really were kind of, was kind of making him angry. He's in the wilderness saying, repent, 
right? Return from the way of living. And then he would say things like this. It would mess people up. It doesn't matter where you're born from. In other words, God's people aren't some nation. Like, just because you were born in Israel doesn't mean you're God's people. Then or now, God's people are the ones who repent and are born again and live a new life. And Jesus comes and speaks into this. And sometimes we don't like to hear what he has to say. But then Jesus shares these words about what's it look like for us to have a foundation. He says this in Matthew chapter 7. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. God's people, right, were, beginning with Abraham, were told that they would be a blessing to the world. And somehow that message had gotten twisted over time. As so Jesus comes and he begins to share these words, and he says that if you'll listen to my words, and you build your life on that, it'd be like the wise man who built his house on the rock, not on the sand. In fact, I was thinking about, um, I was just to a guy who speak not long ago, and he was telling a story about when he grew up outside Portland area, and his family had moved from L.A. to Portland, and, and so they didn't really have a lot of money, but when you move from L.A. to Portland, all of a sudden you can afford more because cost of living in L.A. was way more than the cost in Portland. And so his parents were so excited to buy their first house, and they, they bought this house, and they said there was this really nice neighborhood like across the way, like multi-million custom homes in the 90s, so they were you know, pretty pricey today. I can't imagine what that would be. And he said the problem was um, it was built on a hillside and, and the builders were not digging the foundations deep enough. And no one really knew that until there was this massive flood in Portland and some of these multi-million dollar houses were washed out. So lawsuits, like you can imagine, he said, but, but to give perspective, when the foundation's poor, if it doesn't go deep enough, if it's not something rooted in something strong enough, when storms come, whether they be literal storms and your house does get washed away, or there'll be things that we experience in life. If the foundation is not good, it won't last. And so Jesus, what he actually does, by the way, um, if you have a Bible or an app on your phone, we're going to be in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. I'll just encourage you to turn to Matthew 5 for just a moment. I will do something I did, I, I did earlier today for the first time. I've never read this much scripture in one service ever until today. So give you a moment. Turn there if you want to. But... But Jesus, he said, if you build your life on these words, and so what are the words? It's in fact, it's the greatest sermon that was ever preached. And so here's what we find beginning in chapter five. And I'm going to read the whole thing to you because just imagine for just a moment that you were sitting on a hillside. You've been longing for 400 years for God to speak in a way that you can understand. Like, you know the scriptures, you know what they say, but, but it just seems like there's something more than just a list of rules you're finding in them. And you know that you keep hearing stuff from people. And this guy who showed up, he's speaking in a way that you've never really heard before. And so you and others, you gather together and he begins to teach you. And he takes those scriptures you know. And he opens your eyes to them the way that you were probably always meant to understand them but never made sense. And he begins to speak and you hear him speak. And some of us, like, we'll tune out. And that's probably what happened then too. Some will say, well, that's just nice thinking. It's a good thought. It was good teaching. And they did that too. But some begin, and hopefully we do this, we begin to hear and go, I mean, he actually means this. What might happen if we heard this and we embraced it and we lived it out? And Jesus spoke these words, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. Then, come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you're still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, Gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. 
But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. You've heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But... If you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, 
They've received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. That is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire. Will he not much more clothe you? You have little faith. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do... They may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks, For a fish will give him a snake. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. 
For this sums up the law and the prophets. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many, many enter through it, but small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes? Or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Now, it's easy for us to read those words and go, oh, good sayings. But Jesus was pretty clear and the early church was pretty adamant that it was more than that. If we call ourselves followers of Jesus and that becomes the foundation of our life, it becomes what we aspire to, what we embrace, what we learn to live from. It becomes who we are. And we've been looking these last several weeks about this journey of God's people from people who were no people, who were nothing, and the call of Abram, who becomes Abraham. And they wander through the wilderness. They find themselves in slavery. They wander again. And it brings us all the way to the person of Jesus. So what does that mean for us today? Well, here's the good news for you and I. When we feel like we're wandering in the wilderness, we're not alone. We have a heritage of people who've wandered before us. Because all of us are trying to reconcile with this God who says to us, I will continue to forgive your stupidity and your sinfulness and your brokenness, but I'm not going to leave you where you were, whether it be physically or literally or just spiritually. I will not leave you in that same place unless you choose to not be my people. And so we begin to find over and over again is this, that we have a heritage from Abraham to Joshua to Paul to the people who found even this local church. And we get to remember it and embrace it. We begin to try to make sense of this God who forgives and blesses and sends and calls us to build our foundation on something so radically different, so radically other. To use the words of Kendra this morning, to build our lives in such a way that we find that the focus of who we are is not in the world, we're in the world, but not of the world. We have our foundation is the person of Jesus and the words that he came to teach us, the resurrection he offers us, the new life we can live from. And so what if that became the foundation of our homes and our lives? 
and as much as we can in our workplaces and our schools. What if you and I became so serious about following after Jesus that when he says, these words I'm giving you, right, the greatest sermon ever preached, these words I'm giving you, they are to be the foundation of your life. And if you'll build your life on them, then no matter what comes in life, it will not knock it down. What might happen if you and I did that? What if we began to recognize that we can find out that as we grapple with the goodness of God in a broken world, there's a space for us, for you, for me. It's called his church, the unique people of God. What if you and I were more concerned about living as citizens of the kingdom of heaven here and now than anything else? What might that look like in the world around us? And that's the invitation we find as we journey together as God's unique people. Father, will you help us in these moments together today as we prepare to leave this place? May we recognize there is no place we go, no thing we do in which you are not present. May the words of your son so permeate our lives and our hearts and our minds that we look and sound and act more like him. And though so often the words he taught us in the Sermon on the Mount become for us things that we think, oh, those are just great ideals, but we don't have to really live those in the real world. May we recognize that if we call ourselves followers of Jesus, then all we really care about is the kingdom of heaven and we'll live as citizens of that no matter where we find ourselves. So Father, will you help us to embrace the words of your son Jesus, to take them as our own, to recognize that you want us to be a people who build our foundation on your son. That we don't want to be those standing on the outside looking into the promise and go, ooh, yeah, probably for somebody else. But rather, we're people who step in in faith that you are the God who continues to redeem and restore, make all things new. And may we know that today we can choose to follow you, that we can be made new, that you can restore and redeem even our broken lives. So Father, help us to follow you with all that we are. And we find that your grace and your goodness is more than we could ever ask or imagined. We pray all this in Jesus' name.